Hello, and welcome to Foul Puck, a podcast about sports ball for the rest of us. Unlike other sports ball podcasts, we talk about sports without assuming that you out there in listener land know everything that there is to know about either the poverty draft or the entry draft. Frankly, I don't know either. <laughs> I'm Nancy. I'm your basketball enthusiast. And with me, I have in the purple shirt here. Uh, Rebecca, I assume you mean purple. This is actually a blue capitals Yevgeny Kuznetsov <laughs> t-shirt. I stand uh, because, because I am your hockey person. Indeed you are. And with us, we also have... I'm Rachel. I am your baseball guru. Excellent. And a shout out to our silent observer, as always, Joe, our editor, who provides us with incredibly valuable visual feedback by laughing at all the jokes. It's so good. It's so helpful. It's so good. Convinces us even more that we're funny. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to start off uh, by taking a timestamp, because even if we're the only people who ever listen to this podcast, and I have it based on our uh, SoundCloud stats on, on good uh, information that, in fact, there are at least like 10 or 15 people who listen yes. regularly. <laughs> all right. Terrific. I'm not sure we even know all of them. It's amazing. <laughs> um, well, I can tell you it's no one from my family. <laughs> well, apparently it's a good portion of mine. Which <laughs> Great. Is... Yes. Thank you, family. I love you all. Uh, anyway, this, this podcast serves as a bit, as a, as a bit of a time capsule. Um, and I want to note, therefore, that it is October 17th, year of our trash fire 2020. <laughs> and in California, it has now been, if I am doing the math right, which I counted on my fingers, I hope I'm right. It has been exactly seven months since California, the Bay Area specifically, went into shelter in place. Now, yep. it uh, has... St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> St. Patrick's Day, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There have been some minor adjustments depending on where you live. Uh, Larger portions of more rural California have come out of it a little bit more. The Bay Area, depending on what county you're in, there have been some minor adjustments, but largely nothing has changed. And I just want to check in with each of us just briefly. What's that like? Where are we now? Uh, (laughs) We've also got, you know, some upcoming chaos expected um in the next like three weeks shall we say so i don't i just for the listeners in 20 years (laughs) assuming the grid doesn't go down in three weeks (laughs) where where are you right now rebecca i want to start with you because you are the one who is in an actually physically different location than rachel and i tell us what's up where you are So um, pretty much the same. We're not in shelter in place orders, but it's still generally recommended that people stay home. Um, I mean, things are things are opening. You can eat inside of restaurants. I don't know why you would want to do such a thing. Um, I mean, I work at the University of Maryland and Maryland has opened for partial in-student instruction and therefore partial um, some some staff have to be on campus to make sure that we have student-facing wow. services. Um, I am still, thankfully, working from home. I basically go to my acupuncturist and to CVS. And I went into the office about a week or so ago so that I could steal my office chair nice. from my office and bring it home. <laughs> because Solid. seven months on my mediocre 
self-purchased office chair has ruined my back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, awesome. you know, th- this is quite literally the firstest of first world problems that I my back hurts and is tight and my hips hurt and are tight because I now sit all day long because I'm working from home. Right. I recognize I recognize the absurdity of my privilege here. Uh, but also like from from like boobs to butt, it just everything hurts. <laughs> I feel it. Yeah, so check in with me next week and ask me how much I've done yoga. <laughs> okay. All right. We can do that for sure. And and how is that like how are you feeling about all of this. So you're still working remotely. You Mm -hmm. do have some friends, as I recall, that you have like gone and seen in person and Mm -hmm. you've all quarantined together. And then you've Mm -hmm. all like gotten physically in the same room without masks and hung out. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. how is, how is your, and again, speaking in a very first world, you know, woe is us terms, but like, here's where we are. Right. Right. What is your life like right now? What's your, your level of like, you know, okay, I was kind of a hermit anyway, this is fine, versus like, I would really like to see other living people on a regular basis. Like, where are you on these things? So if you had asked me this question a year ago, if you Mm -hmm. had to be home alone for seven months, what would you think? I would have been like, God, yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because I am very much an introvert. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of my friends live on the internet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I do find myself very much craving face-to-face human contact. Um, I think I got a lot more of that at work than I realized. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, also before, before March 13th, um, my mother would live with me part-time. She lived with me Mm. a couple days during the week because she works at Maryland as well, part-time. So she would be here on the days that she needed to go to work and then at her house the days that she didn't. And now that she doesn't need to physically go to work, we don't right. see each other every week. And my mom and I are actually very close, despite the fact that she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, Fair. So so I, I definitely, I mean, I'm doing okay right now, but I definitely have those moments of, like, I want to claw my skin off because I need human contact. Yeah. Yeah, and and honestly... The, the holidays are going to be really challenging for me Oof. because my family doesn't, like, get it. Yeah. Like, uh, my, my pod of friends, mm-hmm. they want to go on vacation the week um, between Christmas and New Year's. And I sure. think that sounds great. But if I have to go be at Christmas with my family, I can't do right. vacation with the friends. Right. Because the family, including, you know, my 70 plus year old aunts and my 99 year old grandmother are eating out in restaurants and Mm -hmm. going shopping and things like that. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to take the risk to go visit them because it's family and that's what you do. Uh, But I can't bring that risk to my friends. So that's going to be that's going to be the really challenging piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is really challenging. Holidays are a good segue. Rachel, (laughs) we. (laughs) Um, I am also trying to figure out the holidays. Uh, My family is all in Florida. Um, And I think, you know, I'm probably going to be able to swing it by uh, spending most of the month of December there um, and being able to quarantine with my sister for a couple weeks first and then being able to see my parents 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, there's still a lot of logistics to kind of figure out there. Um, mm-hmm. but, Not least you know, of which the fact that it's Florida. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, I wish they could come out here because I, I've been very lucky in my little neighborhood. Um, I go walking most days and um, most people wear masks or observing social distancing. Um, the restaurants are setting up, you know, they have very, very small little parking lots here because this neighborhood trip coming from Florida, but you know, everything was designed <laughs> without parking in mind. Um, mm-hmm. So they'll have these like three parking spots in front of the restaurant and they've set up, you know, little perimeters and tables, sometimes with plexiglass dividers in between. So, um, you know, I feel very lucky to be in a place where people are largely respecting the rules and, you know, all stores and- have signs up front saying masks must be worn and people are by and large obeying it. Um, I did see a, a pretty funny, uh, you know, letter of the law mask wearing thing today. I was walking down the street and guy comes past me on the sidewalk, no mask on, holds half a piece of paper up over his mouth <laughs> for the two steps he walks past me and then drops it again. I was like, well, okay. But, uh, you know, fortunately, that little that's piece the of exception. paper might, might as well just have said, I don't care about you. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But I mean, this was outdoors. There was several feet of space mm-hmm. between us, so um, you know. Well, and let's let's give that guy the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he legitimately forgot his mask, and all he had was that piece of paper. Right? <laughs> Maybe it was. Obsessed. Oh my god! I'm so embarrassed. Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it'll be because I, I usually I'm usually able to uh, visit my family like two or three times a year. Um, and mm-hmm. I haven't seen them since last Christmas. And, yeah. you know, the thought of going all of 2020 without hugging my mom or rubbing my dog's tummy or annoying my sister in person is, <laughs> it's rough. Um, and I think I figured out that that's kind of the, the big thing for me because, you know, I worked mm-hmm. from home before. I am mm-hmm. very much an introvert too, um. You know, so day by day, I can kind of trick myself to be like, you know, okay, I would just, you know, go on a walk in the afternoon, come back here and, you know, probably not go out and see people, especially on weeknights. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, there I can kind of trick myself into thinking things are almost normal. But for me, it's the like not having anything to look forward to kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. you know, as, Mm -hmm. you know, big things throughout the year, like Comic-Con or, you know, a opera performance or you know just something walk (laughs) running across a friend in the street and hugging them (laughs) yeah yeah so just not having you know just looking at my calendar and being like okay same 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 that's kind of been hard for me so I've been trying not to do too much of that It's like every week when we talk about when we're going to when we're going to record next, when we're going to talk next. It's like, what do you have going on next weekend? Well, oh, same thing well. as I did this weekend. <laughs> Nothing. Uh-huh. Yep. What about you, Nancy? Yeah. That's well, I mean, well, similarly to you, similarly to you guys, I am also an introvert and and I'm I'm a somewhat social introvert in that I enjoy interacting with people one-on-one a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, like before the pandemic, like Rachel would come over to our house pretty regularly. We would have breakfast every week with my partner's brother, 
right? Like that sort of connection, that that one to one sort of of, or you know, maybe like two people, right? Was small groups, a, small groups. I really like, and I and I need that in a mm-hmm. way that I have not been getting this year. Um, but otherwise, it's like, oh no, I have to stay in my house with my books and my internet and my <laughs> oh oh, you know. <laughs> but the, the piece of that that I have noticed that has been really challenging for me is that I already had a little bit of a tendency toward overstimulation, right? Like crowds are too much for me. I can't do oh, yeah. crowds, right? Yeah. yeah. Like public transit, if it's full, like freaks me out, right? Um, yeah. So this is really going to help that. <laughs> yeah. So, so last weekend, like we did this thing where it's, you know, you pile all your errands together, right? So like yeah. last Friday night, like we, I went and got groceries. It was, you know, like I masked up. Everybody else was masked. It was very safe, but it was like there were a lot of people on Friday night in the grocery store getting their groceries. The next day we got up, we went and we did drive through flu shots and got our flu shots. And then we went and like we saw some friends. And then afterward, I don't remember what else we did, but there was something else. And then like that night, I legit had a straight up panic attack. And oh. it was just, I figured out later, at least in part, sheer overstimulation you know and it was like i had loved every moment of seeing everybody i had loved getting out of the house but like my brain couldn't cope anymore it was like more than just one person what no Mm -hmm. it's too much so that's been interesting um and and i'm and it's going to be a problem for me when life finally goes back to some version of quote unquote normal i'm going to have to be really conscious to readjust slowly i right. think which is going to go counter to what i want to do <laughs> so that's going to be fun for me the holidays my partner and i don't travel for the holidays we've had this policy in place for a long time because we have very blended families and so if we go see one family, somebody else is disappointed that we didn't go see them. And like, it's the holidays and traveling at the holidays sucks anyway. So sometimes family members will come see us at the holidays, but frequently we're just home alone doing our own thing. And that's fine. But I'm actually rather religiously observant. And that's the piece of the holidays that's really important to me. You know, being able to go to midnight mass, doing, you know, Advent services, that sort of thing. And that's all off the table, too. Right. Mm -hmm. Or rather, we're figuring out how to do it and trying to figure out how to make it special because Zoom church like it's better (laughs) than nothing. But it is not my favorite. It just feels like work. It's just another video meeting, you know. So trying to figure out how to make those those literally sacred moments be sacred moments, Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a real challenge. Um, And I think that I'm going to have to do some proactive work to figure out how to make that happen for me personally in a way that is not connected to whatever we end up doing as a group. Right. So, so that's its own challenge. I love my family, but I am not close to them in the way that I think you guys are and that I'm, I don't see them regularly and that's not, you know, like I miss them. I like seeing them when I see them, but it's not an expectation that I have mm-hmm. to see them with any regularity. So it's, you know, like, would I be happy to see my parents? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'd love to have my sister come back for Christmas, but it's also not something I was waiting on. So, right. So that's, that's that. Um, I think we are all politically on the same page and <laughs> listen, as a, exhale as a, until <laughs> mid-January. 
as a preview for what's to come, I really hope that we're on the same page. Because if we're not, this could be the end of the podcast. <laughs> well, we'll find so, out. <laughs> thank you. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I've been feeling a little bit like this is Zeno's paradox for October, and I'm stealing this from, from 538 because I'd already had this thought, but I hadn't had the words for it. And they said Zeno's paradox. I was like, yes, that's exactly what it is. I said to my partner this morning, it has been two weeks and a day since our anniversary. And he was like, that was months ago. <laughs> Like, yep. Yeah, no, it was the months of two weeks ago. So mm-hmm. I feel like October is is the new March, you know, like September <laughs> was great. It felt pretty productive. Like I felt like things were progressing. October, it's like endless. It's endless. Mm-hmm. It's only the 17th, mm-hmm. the 17th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to think about that. <laughs> but so. Yeah, the Stanley so. Cup was less than three weeks ago and it feels <laughs> like six months. Yeah. Insane. I barely even remember it. Like, Time literally, slows I'm not down. Kidding. I mean, all hail Einstein, like talk about a a crash course in relativity, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like this year has been it. So this week we are doing a thing. We are following through, (laughs) which I want to give Rebecca in particular a real pat on the back for this, because this is her research that she has spent time on. This is a thing we have mentioned doing more than once. And she got it together <laughs> and did the work. And so without further ado, I am going to proclaim this the National Anthem Review. <laughs> okay. Hand it over to Rebecca okay. to give us a little bit of, I'm going to assume you're going to start with a little bit of history yes. of the use of the National Anthem at sporting events. Yes. Yeah. So this, take it away. This, the whole concept um, just came to me because I do go to hockey games and they play the, um, the U S national anthem and the Canadian national anthem at every hockey game. I mean, if it's two Canadian teams playing, they only play the Canadian. If it's two American teams playing, they only play the, um, the American anthem, but you get the point. And I was, and it was kind of like, where. I I just genuinely wanted to know where that came from. How did the national anthem and the military get so seemingly inextricably linked um, when they have nothing to do with one another? And if I can correct me if I'm wrong or jumping ahead here, but like pretty much a U.S. phenomenon. Yes. Yes. Very much a U.S. phenomenon. Yeah. 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 yeah, I I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> it's you do a, get the national anthem, of course, in the Olympics, which I well, feel like yeah. Is- so so that's one of the things I was going to say. You get right. you get the the country anthems at international events, mm-hmm. usually at medal ceremonies or you know banner raisings or things like that. Um, as far as I'm aware, we're the only ones who make a spectacle and an event of the anthem itself pre-game mm-hmm. at every game at every game yes, yes. at and, every and, game and, yeah. and and really every game i mean even in junior high when i junior high yep. and high school like it's i mean when i was in sixth mm-hmm. grade band we played it before the sixth grade boys basketball game you know yeah like it's 
literally everything. I mean, if you want me to do an episode about the national anthem in schools and the Pledge of Allegiance, that could be another <laughs> time because I could take that left turn if you want me to. No, no, that's that's a different podcast. <laughs> no, I've seen your notes. You've got enough for today. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I do. Tackle this piece first. Um, so, so I, a couple of preambles. One, I have a lot of um, references. I'm going to I have them all highlighted in my notes and color coded. So I'm going to try to remember to say them as I go through my two and a half pages of notes here. Um, but otherwise we'll post the the links to all of these articles on Twitter and maybe our blog, something like that. Um, the other, it's not a disclaimer. The other just thing that I want to say in advance is by the end of this, I'm making some of my own connections that I suspect I am not the first person to make. Um, <laughs> I suspect there's been um, a lot of these connections made, especially by um, people of color and uh, black women feminists, I'm going to guess. Um, and so this is not original thought, probably. Like, uh so if I discover more and more people to like link to and share, I will absolutely share those. But I thought it was important because some of this stuff towards the end, I was like, well, if this, then this, and what the <laughs> fuck? And I was like, I can't be the, I, there's no way I'm the first person to put that together. Just no way. Um, I'm, I'm very much in the infancy of my like critical thinking about my government and my world. Um, mm. so I just put the, put all that out there. So truly this really just starts with how did the anthem come to be associated with sports? So it started with baseball. So thank you, Rachel. You are personally <laughs> welcome. <laughs> so, um, we're going back to 1918. World War One is on. We're in September. Spanish um, flu. <laughs> the, Yes. The World Series is become is become is between the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs. This is in the Babe Ruth era. Wow. Um, so World War One had started about eighteen months before. At that point, a hundred thousand U.S. soldiers had died. Um, on September fourth, nineteen eighteen, there was a bomb in Chicago that went off in Chicago that killed four people, um, and at the game. It was quiet and uneventful. There were like 14,000. No, there were less than 14,000 people in the stands. The, um, the stands held 14,000 people and they were, you know, half capacity. Nobody was up and cheering. The, the game ended at 1-0. So it was not a very high scoring game. Um, there was a military band. And during the seventh inning stretch, they started playing the Star Spangled Banner. Um, for those who don't know, the seventh inning stretch is a time during the seventh inning of a baseball game where everybody gets up and kind of moves around. Because um, at this point, it's been three hours. Right. Yeah. Or five, you know, depending. Depends on the game. <laughs> and it's between the top of the inning and the bottom of the inning. I don't know that that's important, but just throwing it yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, so the Boston Red Sox had a third baseman named Fred Thomas. Um 
The Red Sox apparently were plagued with some third baseman issues this year, that year. They've been through nine third basemen that season alone. Oh, um, spinal tap drummer situation. <laughs> <laughs> and so the Sox literally went to the Navy and asked the Navy for <laughs> the this guy, Fred Thomas, who was in the Navy but also played baseball. And so the Navy was like, yeah, sure, you can borrow Fred. So Fred is on furlough from the Navy, playing in the World Series for the Red Sox. And when the military band started playing the Star Spangled Banner during the seventh inning stretch, he was on the field. And so he stood at military attention and turned to the flag and saluted the flag as the song was being played. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... Other players on the field and people in the stands stood, well, the people in the stands were already standing, um, and did the uh, civilian salute, which is the hand over the heart. There, There's some stories that players came out of the dugouts and stood in a line in front of the dugouts, um, also doing the hand over the heart. Um, I just want to interject and say one of the things that I find the funniest about the national anthem in sports is how many players have no fucking idea where their heart is. <laughs> so you end up with like hand over the throat, mm-hmm. hand over the upper stomach, mm-hmm. hand over a specific pectoral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of variation. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's mm-hmm. just well, sad. and then in in some sports, like in hockey, none of the players put their hands over their heart. They stand there right. on the ice, like moving their feet back and forth and <laughs> looking stoic. Or uh-huh. sometimes just looking blank because, you know, one too many <laughs> hits to the head. Um, but anyway, so so Fred stood and saluted and then other players stood. The people in the stands were did the hand on the heart. And apparently by the end of the game, everybody was singing and it was like the most active the crowd had been the whole game. And so mm-hmm. there was this great feeling of patriotism and excitement and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the next two games were also played in Chicago. Um, and the Cubs played the star spangled banner during the seventh inning stretch again, after game three, the series moved to Boston and Boston moved the anthem to pregame and started you know, made a thing out of it. So they had the anthem in pregame and they had at least one game where they had given um, soldiers, wounded soldiers, free tickets to the game and brought them out on the field and said, you know, here are your your wounded warriors. Cheer for them, right? Um, Rebecca. Yes. Is what you're saying that we can blame the Boston Red Sox for this? (laughs) It is, actually. <laughs> it truly is. I thank you for this uh, gift. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's just another reason that Boston can go away. But we can keep Chris <laughs> Evans. Okay. And and his family can stay also. But everybody else, goodbye. <laughs> um so in the following years, the next like decade or so, it just kind of became a staple of the World Series and then of holiday games. It was not played at every game immediately after that. Um, 
So again, that started in 1918. The Star Spangled Banner wasn't actually adopted as our national anthem until 1931. Um, By the end of World War II, the NFL commissioner ordered it played at all games. Hmm. Um, Actually, in a great um, article on ESPN.com by Luke Cyphers and Ethan Trex, they said that by the time the national anthem or by the time the star spangled banner was adopted as the national anthem it had already become quote a baseball tradition steeped in wartime patriotism hmm. interesting yeah so baseball started it during world war 1 correct football codified it during world war 2 that's that's yeah. what it sounds like yeah that's really interesting because i feel like that does kind of correspond at least in in my mind with what i would call the quote unquote most patriotic sports right like they're sort mm-hmm. of part of that whole closest to the american identity kind of yeah exactly yep. like you know apple pie and and turkey at thanksgiving and whatever like it's all part of that same sort of I want to say ethos, but that's not the right word. Um, aesthetic, maybe. Right. <laughs> it doesn't feel quite right either. But but zeitgeist, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's all part of that like ideal American zeitgeist is football and baseball and the national anthem. And mm-hmm. okay, so that's really mm-hmm. interesting that that's actually in some way supportable. Even yeah, that connection is there. So so that's that's the history of it. That that could be where our story ends. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, that's only the first, like, 60% of a page of my notes. <laughs> well, don't leave us hanging. Um, so I kind of, I went off in a bunch of different places with this. Um, uh, do, do, do. All right. So I wanted to know um, kind of the cost of some of these things. Um, and in researching that, I found an article on um, from NPR by Ider Peralta. I assume relation to Jake Peralta, but I don't know for sure. I mean, it seems um, logical. Right? <laughs> um, so between this article in NPR by Ider Peralta and an article in USA Today by Bill Theobald, they um, went through a... 2015 report from the Pentagon, which was commissioned by Senator John McCain and Senator Jeff Flakes, um, looking into DOD and Pentagon spending. (laughs) So what came out of this was that um, between 2012 and 2015, the Pentagon spent $9.1 million for patriotic displays during games. Six point, yeah, 6.8 million of that was officially considered, quote, paid patriotism. Um, One of the things. Patriotism. Yes. So one of the things that they were doing was um, it wasn't just about the anthem or even flyovers. The thing that was considered the paid patriotism was they would bring out players in a minute. They would bring, and not players, I'm sorry. Um, so like in 2013, the Atlanta, Fal- <clears throat> Atlanta Falcons welcomed 80 National Guard members who unfurled an American flag against the Georgia Dome's turf. Um, 
It was also for like those displays where they bring up a veteran and say, this is Sergeant so-and-so and and this is what they did. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so McCain, um, McCain and Flake's objections were largely about those appearances by individual service people. Um, Mm -hmm. And their real problem with the concept was not even the paid patriotism bit, but it was American taxpayer money shouldn't go to baseball, football, whatever, to honor soldiers. The leagues should be doing that out of the goodness of their heart. Mm. Yeah. So it well, wasn't American taxpayer. I kind of agree with that. <laughs> no, no, no. But but my problem here is not just that, like he didn't object to people being, like he didn't object to the connection between sports and the military. Right. What right, he objected to was this, you know, this paid patriotism piece. Right. And I'm kind of um, surprised that, I mean, quote unquote, only nine million dollars because you know the defense budget that's billions a drop in the yeah. bucket. Pennies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so as part of that investigation, um, the Pentagon only turned over like 75% of their records on Mm. the contracts between the Pentagon Department of Defense and the major leagues. Mm -hmm. So we only have a partial picture. It's very likely that it's significantly more than that. And it just wasn't um, Disclosed. disclosed in that investigation. So I have a question. Yeah. Who is getting paid here by whom? Is it the person who shows up and trots out on the field to get applauded? Are they they're getting paid by the Pentagon to be there? Or the league is getting paid to have these people do that? Like, where is this money changing hands in between which parties? Yeah, let me find it so I get it right. I mean, assume if you're sending like a, a military guard somewhere, you're paying for travel, you're paying their their time i mean lodgings but a lot of them are local like it's not you know like there are air force bases or naval bases or army bases near most big cities where these events would be happening i mean like you wouldn't i mean we've got the air force base travis air force base like just over the hill like it'd take them an hour to drive to oakland maybe an hour and a half so so it is the National Guard, the Department of Defense, paying the Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots and that. It's not... So this is straight oh, up an really? advertising buy. Yeah, it's not... Oh, as far as I can okay. tell, it's not the individual soldier who is being honored who gets anything out of it. Right. Who gets anything monetary out of it. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so this is an, a contract between... The military yes. and the sports organization. Yes. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Um, and actually, um, so as of 2015, the Pentagon has had contracts with 72 teams in the NFL, MLB, NHL, and MLS, which I thought was fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. Interestingly, not the the NBA is not mentioned at all, mm-hmm. which I think is probably an, an interesting spinoff for another time that is an interesting spinoff because they definitely do still have you know that sort of thing at some of these events right it may be less common but certainly like at the at the 
championships and stuff they have you know the honor guard come mm-hmm. out and wave the flag mm-hmm. and and so so um some other stuff that came out of that investigation were there were internal pentagon memos that actually talk about how this these contracts with the sports leagues were part of their recruitment campaign um mm. Acting Under Secretary of Defense Brad Carson, I think this was in 2015, he told Jeff Flake during this investigation that the improvement of the economy had made military recruiting difficult and sporting events were a marketing tool needed to help meet their recruitment goals. I mean, that is See this, and this, out. And this is where I started, like, pulling at the thread and, like, <laughs> becoming Charlie Day. <laughs> Um, red ball of yarn comes out on your uh, yeah bulletin board there um so in so there was a lot of talk about the pentagon and the national guard so i i have to extrapolate from my reading that the national guard's budget is separate from the department of defenses yes or at least their contracts are separate from dod's contracts because in 2012 alone, the National Guard spent $26.5 million to sponsor NASCAR as a marketing and recruitment tool. From 2011 to 2013, they spent $88 million on NASCAR. Um, and their, their goal was purely recruitment. Mm-hmm. Um, they stopped doing that because it didn't recruit anyone. Like it made no noticeable <laughs> difference in in recruiting. Interesting. Um, yeah, which I I did find very interesting. Um, Was there any kind of look at different sports and like the the return on investment? I guess. For not that I have sports? seen. No, yeah. not that I have seen. Um, I suspect that that's not something we would ever get access to that kind of information unless mm. <laughs> it came out in an investigation like the, the McCain flakes investigation. Right. But since the DOD didn't turn over all of their records, then I don't know how, why we could trust the information that they supplied. Right. Um, but in another article by, I think it was in the Teen Vogue article because yes, Teen Vogue is a legitimate source in they're amazing. 2020. Yeah. They are amazing. No, they're terrific. Yeah. Um so according to um youth.gov, which is appears to be a recruiting website for the military for the government, um um, 184,000 personnel must be recruited into the armed forces each year to replace those who complete their commitment or retire. So 184,000 people every year is their recruitment goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of that recruitment goal, they try to meet through sports. Part of that recruitment goal, they try to meet through schools. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently... Yep. Part of 2002's No Child Left Behind Act was that schools must grant military recruiters the same access to their schools and their students as they grant college recruiters. I had no idea that was part of No Child Left Behind. (laughs) Me neither. None whatsoever. I remember that being talked about, actually. um, And I remember it because... 
it was a surprise to me that that wasn't already true. Because mm-hmm. where I grew up, the high school I went to, the ROTC recruiters came more often than the college <laughs> recruiters did. Mm-hmm. And so I remember hearing about it and being like, oh, was that, you know, it was like, oh, was that not already the case? And was that not the case for everybody already? Mm-hmm. Like we had, we had a college fair day, one per year. Um, I remember very distinctly going to it. it. They set up in the girls gym. We've had the girls gym versus boys gym talk <laughs> before. Yes. Um, Whereas the ROTC recruiters would come, I don't know, maybe every quarter and set up near the cafeteria so that you had to walk by them. So Mm -hmm. even just in that, there was a distinct difference between if you wanted to go talk to the college recruiters, you had to, I want to say it was even like you had to stay after school. You had to probably make an appointment. No, you didn't have to make an appointment. It was like a job fair sort of thing. But like, I don't remember if we got if it was during lunch and we had to either skip lunch to do it or if it was after school and you had to stay after the school to do it. But like you didn't, I didn't, I remember I didn't have very much time for some reason. There was a time constraint and you had to like seek it out. You had to go to the girls gym and like walk around and pick up their materials and whatever. Whereas the ROTC, ROTC recruiters would come and they would be set up all day near the cafeteria where you just walked past them a gajillion times and they would come multiple times a year. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you look at the number of people in my high school who went into the military versus went into the college, I think you would see the reflection. Mm-hmm. I, on yeah. the other hand, who went to a private school, uh, I don't remember. There was no ROTC. ROTC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember the military ever really having a recruiting presence on our campus. Interesting. Um, there was one girl I graduated with in my class who was going on to a... One of the academies, um, I don't remember which branch of the military, mm-hmm. and there was some big deal made about it, but that was, you know, she, she was the only one. And, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, she was recent, she had recently come to the school too. So it was like she'd had, you know, had mm-hmm. all this set up before she even it came. Was her plan. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So very different uh, environment. Well, and I think are you the tiebreaker? What was it for you? (laughs) Um, Well, interestingly, I was I was just thinking about that. So I graduated high school in two thousand two, which is the year No Child Left Behind got signed. Mm. I remember one J Ratsy group in my high school. Mm -hmm. um, My in my whole high school career, I suspect that was probably senior year. I I Mm -hmm. can't imagine that those two things were unrelated. Um, I do not recall seeing military recruiters around, and we absolutely had collegiate recruiters. Um, one of the things that my high school boasted was its was its you know ninety six percent of graduates go to college thing. Um, <laughs> I I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I need a moment. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> Um, well, everybody I would imagine in my that's... graduating class had to be accepted to at least one college so they could say they have a 100% acceptance rate. We didn't th- – I don't think we had that. Jesus. Um, <laughs> Nancy's still taking a moment. Uh, go on. Go but, on without me. <laughs> but I suspect that would be different now if I went back and, and looked at my high school now. Sure. Because, Nancy, it sounds like – your school welcomed that because yes. it was a way of getting people employed 
and yeah. whatnot after school. It was legitimately the best choice for a lot of my classmates. Right. Like, I, you know, and I, and I, I as, you know, a, a liberal, as a white liberal, I have complicated feelings about our nation's military. Um, but I can, I can say with, with no hesitation whatsoever that it was the correct and, and best opportunity that many of Mm -hmm. my classmates were ever going to get. Um, and I have rather extensive is probably not quite right, but I have a number of family members in the military and always Mm -hmm. have in every generation. And that's, you know, like it, it, it. It was so I won't even say it's something I never considered. There was a hot minute when I thought about it. How um, how um, either what was the racial diversity makeup in your school and what was the like socioeconomic status of your student population or student families? Almost entirely white. We were a very white, very rural school. Um, so like there there were, you know, a few black kids there was a Hispanic family, there was a Filipino family, you know, like, yeah. Um, but I mean, probably 90 to 95% white, uh, but very rural, very poor, very economically depressed. Um, yeah. Definitely. So, so my high school experience was similar in terms of racial diversity. We had like mm-hmm. five, five black kids. We probably had 15 Asian kids. Mm-hmm. And then the rest was white. But despite the fact that my mom and I were living, you know, I I didn't know it at the time, but we're definitely living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, my it was a relatively affluent area. Mm-hmm. So this, this is was where also in Maryland or, or no, this was in Pennsylvania. Oh, Pennsylvania. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So I so I'm going to tie it back to this because mm-hmm. um the military admits to targeting lower income communities and poorer sure. school districts. Yep. Um, and they go for younger people so that those individuals are more likely to stay in the military for a career. Mm-hmm. Um, in a 2017 Department of Defense poll, right? This is the DOD themselves conducting this poll. Um, 49% of respondents said that if they were going to join the military, it would have been for the free education. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, so this is where the conversation about the, the poverty draft, which you mentioned in the intro comes in. So Mm -hmm. the term poverty draft, shoot, I scrolled away from it on my page. Um, so this is, this is also from the Teen Vogue article by Adrian Corcione. The, the poverty draft, the term came about in the eighties, um, to describe exactly what we're talking about. The, basically the beliefs that the enlisted people in the military were made up of young people, young people who were economically disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. Um, it's essentially a draft-like system that pushes non-privileged people into enlisting because they lack access to jobs, income, and educational alternatives in their communities. So, so that's exactly what you're talking about, Rachel, that the military thrived in your school because there were limited economic opportunities for many of its students. Yeah, I mean, literally my best friend who was, who, you know, my best friend through junior high and high school enlisted in the National Guard 
um, because her parents literally would not even pay, could not slash would not pay the application fees for her to apply to colleges. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, they said to her, either you can live at home and work at McDonald's or you can join the Army National Guard, Mm -hmm. go to boot camp, do, you know, private school and then go to college on on that. And that's what she did. And Mm -hmm. she so that's and and that was normal. Um, I mean, at the time that she did that, I was taken aback because she had wanted to go to college. She Mm -hmm. wanted like straight to college. Um, She was she was a very talented artist, um, very talented, creative uh, performer. Um, And I did not think, and and I think I was right, honestly, that the military was not going to be a good fit for her because she was exceptionally creative and not particularly good at following rules. Um, (laughs) And uh, it did not, in fact, go well for her. And I think the experiences she had there actually had a lot to do with where she is now in life, which is not a particularly good place. Mm, Um, That's a shame. Mm. It is a shame, but I certainly know plenty of other people for whom, you know, it otherwise they would be in much, much worse situations than they are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. but yeah, but yeah, the poverty draft is certainly exactly spot on with my experiences. Yeah. yeah. So, um, one of the, or so two of the ways that the military tends to recruit children or two of the, not maybe, no, they are children. High school, no, they high school was, students are children. When, they, when her parents um, drove her to the office and made her sign. Yeah, so two of the incentives that the military uses are money for college and yep. um, to make it easier for the individual to become a citizen if they are not a citizen. And I, yep. I just, I want to take a moment with that because yep. this is one of those things where I had this connection in my head where I'm confident, not the first person to make this connection. (laughs) But the military is happy to welcome non-citizens into the military Mm -hmm. to (laughs) serve and protect, to Mm -hmm. go fight our wars. Mm -hmm. They can't actually grant citizenship because that's up to immigration and naturalization. Mm -hmm. Um, And... The people who are non-citizens don't get the same rights as the rest of us who are citizens. So it's just this, it's just this, like, what is the snake that eats its own tail? Like, that's what this feels like. Yeah, thank you. That's what this feels like. Like, we're, it's just another example where we are sanctioning the use of marginalized people, black and brown bodies, non-citizens to fight for the status quo. And as we on this pod know, the status quo is effectively white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I, my, my brain started leaking out of my ears when I, <laughs> like, I, I, I think I knew that the military would help, um, help enrollees, enlistees, become citizens but i never mm-hmm. i never really put together what that really meant in an individual human person's terms yeah and yep. that it was um, so high up on their list of strategies yes you know? yep yeah and i mean especially and, and, now because if you identify as a non-citizen you can get deported 
Or you could join the U.S. military. What <laughs> well, the fuck? This is the thing, right? Like, like I completely agree with everything that you're saying. And yet, it is this this terrible thing where it is a genuine opportunity for so many people. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it is legitimately the best shot they have at, like, fundamentally changing their status in life and their ability to progress further, pr- provide for their families. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... That's mm-hmm. real. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's part of what makes it so hard to talk about sometimes is that, like... You know, I, yeah, it's it's incredibly strategic and it's very targeted and it's, you know, manipulative and evil in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and also is still the only thing so many people have going. Right. And and that's the problem. There's right. no there's there's no vested interest in our government to change the the economic status of so many of its people because it benefits the government in so many different ways right like if if instead of all the money they put out for recruiting they built um they built tiny homes for homeless people right we probably have a lot fewer people who are so economically disadvantaged that they need to join the military if we took the money from education Right. I was, that was the next thing I was going to say. If we took the money from recruiting efforts and the billions of dollars of military spending and made public education and college free, you wouldn't need to recruit people into the military. But on the other hand, if you invested in education, you wouldn't need to recruit people into the military. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so the tiny house thing was, was uh, I, I was looking this up because I was trying to figure out like, What's the comparative cost? Like, what could this money have better gone to? Um, and there was a Yes Magazine article about a tiny house village in Oregon where um, it was basically volunteer efforts to build small homes in a community for people without homes. And it was $10,000 a house on average. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's for the materials they had to buy. But there were also many materials donated. So, I mean, if you if you take just the $6.8 million that the Pentagon spent on paid patriotism between 2012 and 2015, you can build 650 homes for people who don't have them. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's making an active difference in people's lives and communities. Whereas... Right, but, so, <sighs> so, but if we're going to do the math here, though, that's, what did you say, 650 people's homes? Mm-hmm. Versus the hundred and eighty four thousand recruited every year. Mm-hmm. So well, like, but 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 the I'm taking the the six point eight is just from those three years of spending that was considered the yeah. pay patriotism. That's not that's not their whole recruiting budget. That's okay. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. That's a fair distinction. Yeah, six forty compared to or six eighty compared to one hundred eighty four thousand is not equivalent. I get that. Does right. the Department of Defense right. release statistics for the? Whole, their whole recruiting budget? I'm going to guess not. Yeah, um, that would be my guess too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I admit, I didn't dig that far. Because I was like, wait a minute, still a sports podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, so to, so to bring it back to sports, I find it particularly interesting that if, that, you know, with what you're saying about the poverty draft and what we have 
have stated previously about the viewership of NASCAR, though I'd be interested to see what the actual demographics for that are. I was thinking the same thing. Bending on NASCAR uh, paid patriotism didn't pay off. I wonder if the NASCAR audience is too old. Mm, could be. Yeah. That's, I, that's my first thought. And it also makes me wonder about why they don't have a contract with the NBA, because the NBA tends to have a young audience. Well, let's, let's just hold on to hope that it's the NBA's choice to not do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Let's be. go with that. I'm going to choose yeah. to believe that until I'm proven wrong. I mean, it certainly <laughs> seems plausible, honestly. Like, yeah, it does. all of our sports, like the NBA is the most self-aware, maybe? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the most it. self-aware, yes. Yeah. I don't know I that I would like call it self-aware, but it is definitely the most self-aware. The most self-aware, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 I'll, I'll take that, I'll take that. Um, and, and thus... You know, while they certainly do play the national anthem at every game, and while they do, you know, for the championships, have the, you know, flag bearers, honor guard, whatever, come out and wave an actual flag on the court and so forth, and at the Warriors, (laughs) um, at Oracle, they did this great thing, and this is so dumb, but I did love it, that, you know, when they have the Rockets red glare, they had fireworks cannons on the back (laughs) of the basketball hoops that would shoot off. (laughs) Which, like, I'm sorry, I'm five. It was terrific. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but that's the thing. You can still have fireworks at a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't have to have fireworks and military propaganda. (laughs) No, it's true. It's true. And, like, I would happily dispense with the military propaganda. But, like, that's the one piece. uh, Because I'm always just like, oh, fuck, we got to stand through this again. Okay, Mm -hmm. I guess. Like, fine, whatever. And the players, the poor players, like, you can just see them dissociate, you know, it's just like leaving their bodies, listening to the same tune for that, you know, 800th time. Yeah. Like, so at least when I had to play it in marching band, like I had something to do while I was listening to it instead (laughs) of just standing there, right? So there was a Yahoo Sports article from June of this year by Caitlin Murray, which basically talked about um, how... Um, how things are changing right now and how um, like specifically now with the pandemic and bubble sports and things like that and why this is the perfect Mm -hmm. opportunity to stop doing it because there are leagues, I think women's soccer, who said there are no fans in the stands, we're not going to play this and didn't play the anthem before the games. Um, so women's soccer did actually play the the anthem before the game because they all knelt for it. Oh, that's right. That's right. Of not doing it. Okay. There was discussion about that. Um, and I don't know who all has been not doing it, but it's certainly now become such a focus for, you know, demonstrations of resistance, yeah. which I think is fascinating. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, but Caitlin Murray, the author, made a point to say that players are forced to line up and sing to the flag before they're allowed to do their jobs. Mm-hmm. And like when you, when you phrase it like that, it sounds even more ridiculous. Yep. Like yeah. if, yep. I mean, it's it's children in in school who have to say the Pledge yep. of Allegiance before they're allowed to be taught, right? Yep. I I can't imagine yep. having to start every day of work singing the national anthem before I'm allowed to do my job. Well, it's so interesting because it's such a thing that like when you put it like that, mm-hmm. 
it's exactly the sort of thing that we as Americans have always looked down on on other countries. Right. Right? Yes, yeah. that's like exactly that, right. That kind of... up, you know, communist China yep. or like the Soviet Union, yep. right? All of that sort of, but we are completely unaware that we do functionally the same bullshit right yeah oh it's but it's different for us it's different for us because yeah we don't have we don't live in a fascist dictatorship oh wait (laughs) (laughs) Um, what did you say about dear leader (laughs) i said nothing i said nothing nobody send this podcast to the nsa Um, well i do think that like i mean the functional difference that people are going to point to right is that there's not a law in effect saying that there has to be the national anthem before games or as far as i know pledge of allegiance at schools it's it's there might be depends on the state okay i think there might be laws about the yeah um well then just sticking to sports because technically this is still a sports podcast podcast (laughs) yeah stick to sports rachel (laughs) (laughs) you know and i think we're every day learning more about the difference between norms and laws um, but you know, when it does become such an entrenched norm that the idea of breaking it, like, I can't even imagine at this point, a discussion happening about not playing the national anthem before a baseball game, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I, right. That would, you know, the make people right. it's so- shit their American flag underwear at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and not even think about the fact that they're shitting on the American flag because damn it, that's patriotism to wear it across your crotch. Um, that drives me nuts. Damn yeah. it. That's Sorry. patriotism. That I'm writing that insane. one down. Um, so I don't, you know, I mean, I think that's the difference that people would point to, but I don't know that there's necessarily a functional difference. If we're, you know, talking about this very reactive. Well, and there's also the feeling the functional to, difference. Sorry. No, you finish. I shouldn't have interrupted. I mm, I don't know. You know. No, it's gone. It's gone. Go for oh, it. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. One great. There's, there's also a difference between North American sports, which play the anthem before the games, and other countries' sports, which don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, Bruce. Where's Bruce? Bruce Arena, who is a former men's national soccer coach and now coaches the New England Wait. Revolution. His name is, is Bruce his name Arena. Arena. Yep. He had no choice. Wow. No. He could he not have become an sports. accountant if he wanted to. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> um, he actually said, uh, "I think it was. I think it was. It was relatively recently." He says it's inappropriate at sporting events, um, especially because, from his perspective, he's coaching men's soccer. The teams are so international. Yeah. Um. And, mm-hmm. and I value his opinion on this only, I mean, a, a day ago, I didn't know who he was. So I value his opinion on this only because he is coaching at the North American only level right now, but has coached at an international level before and, mm-hmm. and understands and feels the pride in it when you win at an international event to have your national anthem sure. played, right? Right. So that's where it makes sense. And that's where it is actually about patriotism and the pride in your country and all of this stuff. Whereas, whereas it has now been linked so deeply here with the military that that's where it becomes inappropriate at sporting events. Well, and also, I mean, 
I think you can make an argument, too, that it trivializes it, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, again, as as a liberal American, I have complicated feelings about patriotism as well. But I, one of the things that I always find really interesting is in conversations with international friends, they just do not ever describe themselves as patriotic. And I'm like, I feel like most liberals I know would describe themselves as patriotic. They just want to really define what patriotic means. Right. Right. But I, and I think a piece of that to me is that, you know, having national pride should be reserved for situations where it's actually relevant and actually meaningful, like the Olympics. Right. And, you know, the tiny rural junior high basketball game is not a relevant situation <laughs> for the national for, anthem for the national anthem and and so it becomes propaganda rather than actual patriotism and it becomes this coerced meaningless ritual yeah. rather than i mean maybe this is my protestant roots <laughs> take the papacy out of this you know <laughs> but like to me, and, and I get this, I get my, my dander up about American flag everything for this, for similar reasons. Like if we're going to have a flag, if we're going to say it means anything, if we're going to take any sort of pride in our flag, et cetera, et cetera, you can't go putting it on your fucking boxer shorts, right? <laughs> like don't be dragging it in the street where people, you know, are urinating on the curb. Like that's not respect. That is not actually patriotism. That is a demonstration of that's value signaling and a demonstration of propagandic sentiment. And I think that's a really big piece of this, even if it's so ingrained at this point that, that we don't know how to pull it apart almost, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, well, and this is not, this is not an actual demonstration of national feeling. This is about performing the OCD ritual that we all know is required. Yes. Well, and and back to Rachel's point about norms versus laws, uh, isn't it illegal to put the flag on a bunch of shit that isn't the flag? Yep, technically. So, but we can sell it, Rebecca. um, If we put the American flag on it, we can sell it again. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So the the only other thing that I wanted to say, I think, well, no, I probably have more to say, but the only other um, point that I wrote down to bring up was, was there's a Mennonite school in Indiana called Goshen College. Um, and they mm. play in the NAIA, National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics, which is okay. the, you know, NCAA for small schools. Um, sure. They... Uh, have actually they actually came out and said that the violent lyrics of the national anthem clash with their mission and they will no longer and do no longer play it um before games or in any way associated with yeah if you ever go read the verses like yeah well it was written in wait a minute it was written in 1814 Yes, it was written Something in 1814 like as a poem about the War of 1812, and it was about the bombing mm-hmm. of Fort Lee. So mm-hmm. it's very violent. <laughs> like yep. those rockets, red glare, that's not fireworks. Yeah. That's bombs no. bursting it is. in the air. <laughs> well, and the later verses, if I recall correctly, directly mention slavery as well. Yeah. 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 So like, yeah. 
It's uh, mm-hmm. there are multiple mm-hmm. problems. Yeah. yeah, and Americans so, aren't even capable of conceiving of patriotism. I think without bringing war into it. Well, I think I think that's exactly I think that's exactly it. I think that's the thing of kind of going back to what Nancy was saying about people wanting to strictly define what patriotism means to them, Mm -hmm. because you can have pride in this country and not pride in the military. But if you say you're patriotic here, it has a very militaristic connotation. Yeah. 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 So um, the Yahoo Sports article. um was was really interesting and I want to make sure that I share that one because it was basically talking about how right now all of us in this country many people in the world are changing how we do everything because of the pandemic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. and it's very obviously happening in sports with bubbles and you know the safety precautions yeah. about people in the stands and um so so right now we're changing our approach to sports and large crowd events. So if we make the removal of the national anthem happen during this time, we can almost normalize it, normalize before. the not playing of the anthem before mm-hmm. we get back into arenas and crowds and all of that kind of stuff. So it's an argument for this being the perfect time to take it out of circulation. Now, I don't really see that happening in the yeah. in the sports that we mentioned. Um, I mean, frankly, especially in hockey, where it's such a rich, pre- predominantly rich, predominantly white um, sport, and all of these people have um, interest in continuing this military propaganda machine. Um so I do wonder if the downfall of having the national anthem played at sporting events is going to be when it is so universally used for visual protest, visual resistance mm. signaling mm. Yeah. that the people who want it there finally go to hell with this. We don't want to see this anymore. We don't want to see, you know, women and people of color kneeling and or raising fists and or whatever to this thing that we think belongs to us. Um, and if that'll sort of be the tipping point along with the quarantine, but it seems know. like the that, most likely just... path to anything changing. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> piss them off enough. They finally <laughs> decide to get over no, it. You can't <laughs> have it. But you know what? I, I suspect that we as fans who go to events could have a, like a legitimate, influence on this right because if people in the stands raise their fist in solidarity with the black lives matter movement anti-police brutality whatever players are on the ice it becomes Mm -hmm. then even more visible how many people support the players and support those things and then and then perhaps it becomes even more unpleasant for the people who are on the other side it's a really interesting thought. Yeah. yeah I don't like, know why could Why be. don't we, those of us who go to sporting events and support Colin Kaepernick kneeling, why don't we do something similar in the stands? If we're all going to stand up. Well, usually because there's no leg room to kneel. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> well, yeah. And, and if you sit down for the anthem, nobody sees you, right? It's yeah. only the people around yeah. you who see you. Yeah. But if we all stand for the anthem and some of us raise our, raise our fist in solidarity, so that's a much more visible 
act. As white people, are we allowed to do yeah. that? Because I thought yeah. that was a thing that white people aren't supposed it's to do. It's a very good question. And I would probably research that before I did it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because I don't I don't want to... Uh, yeah, I don't want to take away from the protest. And I certainly right. mean no disrespect right. by it. I'm trying to think of a visual way of Actions. signifying yeah, 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 or yeah. signaling that, that we mean, support that action. Could be. Turn your back, or I mean, like have a Black Lives Matter banner mm-hmm. or something. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, turning your back would be the simplest. You're, you know, it's more visual than sitting. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but then you're looking and... at the crotch of the person who's standing behind you. Oh, you're you're in seats expensive enough to have people behind. Oh, you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I am typically uh, we have been <laughs> to more than one Warriors game where uh, there okay. was literally we no one behind nose us. Nose. Yeah, I have yeah. been the last person in the arena, but I'm not typically the last person in the arena. <laughs> okay, your privilege is showing. Yeah, the back. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> but yeah, I think it would take some thought to find a way to do yeah. it to where it's kind of not about mm-hmm. us. Yes. Know? Yeah. And it is visibly a gesture of support rather than a, you know. Right. So this is a thing that we should look up. And and Rebecca, I might talk long enough for you to Google this. But in the 1968, 72 Olympics, uh, where the two players whose names escape me at the moment, Tommy Smith Mm -hmm. and... Uh, when they raised their fists on the podium, the first, the gold medalist and the bronze medalist mm-hmm. at those games, the black men who raised their fists, mm-hmm. as I recall, they warned the white guy who was the silver medalist that they were going to do this. And he asked them, do you want me to do anything? And they said, no, please don't. We need this moment to be about us. And yeah. so in all the pictures, you see them standing there and he is just standing with his hands, I think, behind his back, yeah. you know, and his like head kind of down. It was, so. I, I, yeah, it was 1968, Tommy Smith and jo- John Carlos. Thank mm-hmm. you. It was the 200 meter running event. Yeah. And the Australian silver medalist, Peter Norman, um, just stood there. Um, mm-hmm. They were all wearing human rights badges on their jackets. I didn't know that piece, but that yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yes, I don't, I don't want to co-opt. That's what I remember reading about it because I, 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 I had always assumed he just didn't know, but then I, I'm pretty sure I remember reading a piece that that you know whether it was an interview. Yeah, I think he wrote. It. I don't know if it was like, an interview. No, no, if he I wrote, wrote it, but it. yeah, he he said some interesting yeah. stuff. That guy. Yeah. yeah. So that should that maybe we should get into that next time we are coming up on a, a reasonable amount of time here. So, uh, Rebecca, did you have any final thoughts you wanted to leave us with about the National Anthem? Um, I, the, my, really, my final thought, I want to take a quote from Georgia Hardstark and just say, <laughs> goes all the way to the top! <laughs> That's it. Uh, all right. So, uh, the last thing I wanted to do Um, on our podcast today is to issue a correction because my stepmother who is terrific yes oh fuck politeness very nice rachel just shared Mm -hmm. her mug with us that's also from georgia hardstark yeah is that it okay i didn't mean for us to talk about it but i was just being it's fine sorry (laughs) i was trying to I have to read with my mouth open sometimes (laughs) what's understandable i'll read it aloud uh, 1968 Olympics. I'm writing it down. Um, so my stepmother, who is wonderful, 
for the record. I know not everybody has terrific relationships with their step parents, but mine's great. Um, always has been. Listens to our podcast. Uh, and she fact-checked us. So I need to issue a correction for myself. Uh, the podcast which we posted this week, which I want to say is 23, <laughs> 24? We'll fact-check the fact-check uh, next time. Tra- probably well, 25. No, I don't, I don't think it was 25. I think it was 24. Okay. Um, a Horse in the Race is the title of it. Uh, I had... You had made some comment in passing about how your grandmother gets MLB TV, I think. And I had also in passing, you know, made some crack about how none of my grandmothers would do that. Uh-oh. Um, and <laughs> and Syl has written into our Instagram to say the following. Fact check on the pod, Nancy's Grandma Molly was a big baseball fan, especially the Chicago Cubs, since those are the only games she could reliably watch up in Alaska. Also, when she traveled, she went to many live games in different big cities. I had not known this. I did know she was a baseball fan. I just kind of forgot about it. Um, And I had known that she was into the Cubs for exactly the reason that Sill states. It was brought on the main broadcast channels. Okay. And that was what you could get. It, It. I always... Get, want to get that wrong because she was from Minneapolis and so I want her to be a Twins fan but that's not true or maybe she was as a child and just switched allegiances as an adult living in Alaska I don't well, know well once we post this um, I'm sure your stepmother will let us know <laughs> yeah I'm sure she will um, so I didn't know that she went to many live games in different big cities so that was a really cool thing to find out so then I so then I texted my stepmom was like, okay. So I got that wrong. Um, what about Grandma Julie, uh, who was my, my stepmom's mom? All, all of my grandmothers at this point have passed on and have been so for quite some time. And this is part of the thing is I never got to know any of them super well as an adult. So mm-hmm. my memories of them are primarily childhood memories. Um, so I asked her, I said, what about what about Grandma Julie? Uh, and she said, I think Grandma Julie kind of liked basketball and she loved watching the Olympics. I said, how come? And she said, the the spectacle, the, the big eventness and the international aspects of it, which totally makes mm-hmm. sense with what I do remember of Grandma Julie, that she would have been into that, would have found it very exciting. Um, and so, Rachel, I'm very sorry, but Syl and I agree. Uh, Grandma Julie probably liked basketball because it moved fast enough and that's also how we <laughs> Football's okay, but baseball, bit of a slog. Grandma Molly, though, would admit it right through it. It's a so. chess game. You can't speed it up. Well, they're speed chess, but not not that. <laughs> but, Rachel, my grandmother loves baseball. So you do have you do have some grandmas in your corner. Yeah, there you go. And I got to say, Grandma Kerr, as far as I know, did not care about sports. But I will say, you know, it's possible that I just don't know. I know Grandpa would... would Grandpa Kerr would turn on the football games, you know, in the fall and that, just have that on in the background. But as far as I know, neither he nor Grandma Kerr particularly were invested in them. I think they were more just background noise than anything. But but yeah, so there you go. Apparently I, I did my grandma's dirty. <laughs> now we have uh, c- corrected the record. That's good. I appreciate it. So I will. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll put that out there and and and. For Grandma Molly's sake, go Cubs. Yeah. I support Grandma Molly. <laughs> They're but... better than the current options. <laughs> Fair. 
we'll, we'll, they're solidly middle of the pack. We'll we'll take them over the Dodgers or the Astros any sure. day. Yep. Or Boston teams. Or Boston teams. Or LA teams. Generally. Or Pittsburgh yeah. teams. Yeah. We should just make a list. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we should. Pecking order of the teams in each of our sports. <laughs> yes. I'm adding it to the spreadsheet. See, but I'm concerned that that might alienate one of our 15 listeners. That's true. We should do a, a survey first. <laughs> well, right. We can make them email in with a justification for us to reconsider the placement on the list. And if they make a good enough argument, we'll, we'll reconsider it. Uh, will we? I mean, I don't care <laughs> how long to. you defend Pittsburgh. I am never putting the Steelers <laughs> or the Penguins on any of my lists. As a, okay, as a, at this point, do we have any Pittsburgh fans? Because they're already long gone. Fair. Fair. I mean, I don't know how you feel about the Pirates, Rachel, but... I got nothing against them. Okay. They got all right, sweet so old-timey hats. Okay, so Pirates fans are welcome here, but Pens fans... <laughs> Maybe just, just. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> I would like to wrap this up this week. I want to say a real shout out to Rebecca for doing all yes, that research. Yes, thank you. Though. That was really terrific. Really appreciate the time and energy you put into that. That was really. We all say no. I'm totally going to do this, but you're the first one to have actually done it. So yes. yeah, yeah. Well done. <laughs> we will give you a a little trophy. Yay. For that. A little virtual trophy. gold star since. Yeah. Uh-huh. We'll put it in the uh, the emoticon. I appreciate it. We'll, we'll send you an emoticon on the chat. Thank you. There you go. But before we wrap up, will you tell us where people can find us? Online? Yes, you can find us at um, foulpuckpod at, nope, foulpuckpodcast at gmail. You can email us questions, concerns. Um, I am sure that if there's an angry pens fan out there, you're welcome to email us. <laughs> Um, just don't, just don't expect me to suddenly love Sidney Crosby because it's not going to happen. Um, Foul Puck Podcast on Twitter, um, and foulpuckpodcast.net is our website. Foul Puck. No, I think we must be Foul Puck Pod at Twitter and Foul Puck Podcast on Instagram. Yes. One of these days we'll get it right. I should probably just put it in the notes for every episode. we can't deliver on. Now oh, it's no, more we fun will. to see whatever you're going to come up with this time. <laughs> just just Google foul puck and we're we're probably like the fifth or sixth thing down. <laughs> <laughs> we're climbing every yes. time. And yes, Rich. I would like to thank Joe for doing our editing and for laughing at our terrible jokes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kevin McLeod <laughs> at Incompetech.com for our music. And I would like to say, if you have enjoyed this podcast at all, even a little bit, and you know what, frankly, even if you haven't, <laughs> Just please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating because we want more people to find us and love us. And even if you didn't love us, somebody out there will. So do them a solid and give us a rating that will help them find us. Uh, SoundCloud also, you know, you can mm-hmm. rate us there or uh, Spotify or wherever the hell else we are. Stitcher. Great. Uh, Stitcher. That's the one. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. We will be back again soon uh, with further quote-unquote sports (laughs) knowledge discussion and events thanks for listening until next time i have been and continue to be nancy i am usually rachel and i'm rebecca bye